As we come today, we're going to be turning to Ephesians chapter 2. This is a familiar portion of Scripture, verses 1 through 10. The emphasis will probably be a little bit different from what you've heard. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. Although this is written to the church at Ephesus, it's written to the, you and I, the church, this local church here at Rita Branch. May we read. It says, And you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the earth, and that, work, that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom we also had our conversation, that is our lifestyle in times past, and the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. He says, but God, I love those contrasts, but God, remember that, but God, but God says this as this, but God, who is rich in mercy, and for his great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead, dead in sins and he has quickened us together with Christ. It says, by the grace are you saved and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come, he says this, he might show or demonstrate his exceeding riches, riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Jesus Christ. It says this, it says, uh, for by by grace are you saved, have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship. Uh, we are his workmanship. For we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus unto, unto good works, which God has put before ordained that we should walk in them. May we pray. Blessed Father, dear God, O oh Father, as we come before your most holy and divine presence once again. O oh Father God, I just thank you, thank you, thank you for this, this awesome, awesome, awesome opportunity. Father, realizing, Father, I am nothing. I can do nothing, Father God, without you, unless he, the Holy Spirit, moves and speaks to me, Father. All we say is in vain, Father, but blessed God, I'm not trusting trusting this morning. I'm not trusting to anyone, Father, but you. I'm looking to you, Father, that you'll use this old poor man, his poor mouthpiece to speak forth the word, Father God, that you would have us to hear this day at Ridley Branch, and blessed Father, I'll be sure to give you the praise, honor, and glory for all that is accomplished for us in the worthy name of Jesus, oh God, I do pray. Uh, as we come here this morning, as we come, you may be seated, as we come, ah, uh, um, that's an old song, I want to say. That's an old song we used to sing. Most of you don't remember this song. And let's know our purpose here. It says, Tired of Brethren, we have come to worship. How many knows that song? Anybody? Thank God that some knows it, buddy. Let me just read the first chorus. Brethren, we have come to worship and adore the Lord our God. Will you pray with all your power while we, while I try to preach the word? All is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. That is so true. Unless the spirit comes and moves this morning, all 
all we say is in vain, it won't amount to anything. He says, brother, pray in holy manner. We'll be showered all around. That's a wonderful song. It's a wonderful song. It's a wonderful message. This morning we're going to, God has given me the thought, living without hope. Living without hope. There are countless millions and millions of people today living with no hope at all. Nothing to look forward to. I was that way one time, and so were you. At one time, we was all without hope. All. Everyone. Everywhere. Living without hope. Notice how Paul begins to talk here. There are several ways you could interpret this. Paul looks at our past, our present, and our future. Everyone has a past. Most of us are ashamed of our past. Amen? I am. A lot of things I said and did, I'm ashamed of. But you know, someone has forgotten my past. Someone has wiped my past out. The day I was born again, my life began anew. Amen? The day you was born again was a clean record. Oh, ain't that something? Yes. But Paul says this, and you has he quickened. That means made alive. And you who has quickened and made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Boy, that's something. Paul's talking about the church at Ephesus. He's talking about you and I. One time we were dead. You know that? We were dead. Dead to God and dead to the things of God. God took Ezekiel to a valley one time. He showed him a valley of a bunch of dry, dead bones. And God asked him, he said, can these bones live again? He's looking at dead bones. What man would ever think dead bones could live again? If he said, Lord, only you know. Only you know. And Lord, if you don't do something, those dead bones would never live again. One time I was a dead bone. One time you were a dead bone. You know what? Good God did something. He did something. Today I'm alive. Not only am I alive today, I'm alive forevermore. And the life that I now live is a new life. It is Christ who lives in me. How about you? Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet it's not I, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave his all for me on that old tree. You know what? I'm all right today. God has moved and quickened me. He's moved and quickened some of you. And there may be some dead bones in this crowd today. But if you look to God, he'll do the same thing he did for those bones in that dry valley. He'll do for you the same things he did for me. He'll bring you alive today. He'll bring life out of death. Amen. I want you to know that. But Paul says this. He says you were dead in trespass and sin. You know, when Paul said they were dead, they were alive phys- physically. He means they were dead to God. 
You know, it's not our fault because we were dead to God. That's what we inherited from our forefathers. We can thank Adam for the fact we came here dead to God. You recall when God created Adam and made a beautiful garden and gave him some instructions. He said, Adam, go in that garden. Eat of all the trees you want to, as much as you want, as often as you want. But there's one tree you are prohibited. There's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, when you eat of that tree, if you do, Adam, you'll die. You will die. And we know the story. Adam ate. And the day he ate, he died spiritually. He became a dead bone. He died spiritually. And all of his offspring came here dead. Dead to God with no capacity for God, to no inclination for God. You couldn't, didn't love God, didn't do anything to please God. We were just a dead bone. He says, hey, and we were like that. We were dead. And Paul says here in chapter verse 2, say, we know, he said, uh, we, walked, we lived according and walked according to the way the world did. The prince of the power, the earth, and all this, who work in disobedience, says, among whom we all had our conversation or lifestyle in times past. He says this, forfeiting the lust of the flesh and all this and all that, and were by nature, nature, the children of wrath. You know, let's face it. At one time, we lived our life our way. Amen? We did those things that was right, we thought was right in our sight. (laughs) We did that which felt good, looked good, made us feel good. Anything to satisfy this old sinful nature we had, we indulged in. Okay, it? It says this, we did what we wanted to do. The last verse in the book of Judges says this. There was no king in Israel at that time. And every man did that which was right in his eyes. Amen? Boy, it sounds like a day, don't it? It sounds like a day we live in. Boy, the Bible's up date. <laughs> it never been out of date. We live in a day where those who don't know God is doing anything and everything that they feel is right. In their own eyes. It's a day when people dabble and live in sin. It's what we live in. And the Bible says there is pleasure in sin for a season. Amen. We'll confess. But you know what? It's just for a season. Matter of fact, we're here just for a season. This world is not our home. Hey, we're going somewhere. And God gives us the freedom to live this life any way we choose. Amen? You can live any way you choose. But I can tell you this. If you live it in the way you choose, there's a great, great price you will pay. A tremendous price. A price you would never think you could ever pay. Yes. That's the way we live. And in verse 12, he says this about that life. Of chapter 2. He says, at that time, notice what he says. When you were in that state, in that state, you were without Christ. 
separated from Christ, without God, living in a world without God, without Christ. And all, those, all the promises in this Bible meant nothing to you. You couldn't claim any of them. None of those promises meant anything to you. And it says at that time in verse 12, you were living with no hope. Imagine living with no hope. No hope. No tomorrow. If you're living without hope, it's not going to get any better. This is the best it's going to get. Life is downhill all the way. Downhill, downhill, downhill. But I got news for you. Someone came 2,000 years ago that we could have hope. That's right. Amen. Amen. Somebody came that we could have hope. Now, they were living without hope, without any future, dying in sin. And back there in that third verse, they were dying under the wrath of God. Boy, we don't hear much about the wrath of God. The wrath of God for those who die as a die dead bone is going to suffer the wrath of Almighty God. God tells us through John. He said, whoever believes on the Son has everlasting life. Those who do not believe do not have life, but they are living under the wrath of God. And God's going to pour out his wrath one day on all those who reject the gospel. I want you to know that. But you know what? I don't have to worry about the wrath of God. You know that? I don't have to sweat about the wrath of God because somebody who loved me took that wrath on themselves and they suffered in my state. I tell you that. The wrath's gone because of Jesus and his love and his grace of God. The wrath is no longer on me, my friend. Yes, they're under the wrath of God. Yes. The question question. Is there any hope? I thought Paul had painted a picture of man as he was in his condition. <clears throat> Verse 4 said, but God. Boy, you know, when, when God is in, in a situation, it'll change things. When God is present, it'll change things. When God touches your life, you'll change. You'll change. You won't be the same. But he said, but God. But God. There are three great words in these two verses. That without these words, we wouldn't have any hope whatsoever. Three great words. One is love. One is mercy. One is grace. My friend, without those three words, we'd be most miserable. I'm so glad the Bible says God is love. You know that? That's his attribute. That's one of God's attributes, one of his characteristics. He is love. You can't change that. God loves everybody. He loved the righteous. He loves the unrighteous. <laughs> but when I, when, before I was saved, he loved me. Amen. He loves you. He loves everybody, whoever you are, wherever you are. God loves you. I want you to know that. Amen. And the greatest proof, the greatest proof that God loves us is the cross. The cross, the cross, the cross of Jesus. Amen. For on that cross... Jesus revealed to all humanity his great love. 
for you and I, his great love. Paul, right in chapter 3 of Ephesians, he'd been talking to these, that church there about some great things as us. And Paul, one of those folk that really appreciate the love of God. Paul says this. He said, I'm not praying for you that you might know, that you might know the love of God. Might know it. Might know how wide it is. How wide it is. Includes everybody, the whole wide world. Might know his height. The height. All the way from here to glory. That's what God's love is. His height. His depth. No matter how low you sink, his love's there for you. He said, I you might know the love of God. Then he says, which passes knowledge. It's so great we can't know it. The Holy Spirit has to work in your life and reveal to you something about his love. But thank God for his love. Thank God he's a God of love. How he loves us. How he loves us. Paul says this, that God revealed his love for you and I while we was lost sinners. He didn't wait for us to be saved. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. Yes, he is a God of love. And he says this in verse 4, God who is rich in mercy for his great love. The reason God is rich in mercy, it stems from his love. The root of mercy is love. And Paul says he's rich in mercy. You know that? Well, God's rich in everything. And he's rich in mercy. And I'm so glad God's rich in mercy. He has to use a lot of it on me, I tell you that. And he'll sit a lot for you, I tell you that. He'll never run out of mercy. God is, God is so rich, so rich in mercy. Yes, David knew something <laughs> about the mercy of God. Let me tell you what mercy is, first of all. So what is, what is mercy? <laughs> Jeremiah said it's because of his great mercy that we're not all consumed. Jeremiah went out there, I said, the Babylonians have burnt, that, burnt, burnt Jerusalem, burnt the city, bodies strode everywhere, thousands taken into captivity. And Jeremiah said, Lord, were it not for your great mercy, all of us would have been gone. If you want for his mercy, we all be gone today. The mercy of God is what is when God doesn't give us what we deserve. When God doesn't give us what we deserve. Say, preacher, what do we deserve? We deserve death. Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's God's law. So if we got our just what we deserve, we all be dead. But God. It's a merciful God. David knew something about that. David committed, we know, two awful sins. He plotted to have one of his best friends killed. He took his wife for his own, and she was pregnant. David thought he got about with it. Boy, sometimes we think we do things at night and nobody will know about it. I don't care what you do it, God knows about it. God knows about it. But God sent his servant, Nathan, to confront David about what he did. He told him a story about a man with one lamb. And the man took and slew his lamb. The rich man slew his lamb to, to provide a meal. And David said, that man is worthy of death. David said, you were the man. That's right. 
You're the man. He pronounced serious on himself. You're the man. You're the man. And David said, you know what? I am the man. He was the king. He could have had him executed right then. He said, I am the, I am, I'm the man. I'm guilty. Then Nathan said, you will not die. God has put away. How about that? He's put away mine. But my sins are gone. If you've trusted Jesus as saving your sins, there's no wrong or wrong. But if you haven't, you haven't. Still, with your sins, yes. He knew something about mercy. You remember that old publican and Pharisee went to the temple to pray. But at first he was a proud fellow. He didn't ask for anything. He told God all the things he had did. God wasn't concerned about that. He told God everything he had did. He fights twice a day. He do this and he does that. He wasn't. And he seen that old public over there, a tax collector. He said, that dirty rascal over there. He's been a cheat and a liar all his life. And he had been. And that public knew what he had been. And he, had, he knew he had no right to call on God. But that public said, God, be merciful. Don't give me what I deserve. Be merciful to me, a sinner. He confessed he was unworthy. He confessed to what it was, and he was asking for mercy. And what did God tell him? That man went home justified. Justified. You know what justified means? God declared him no longer guilty. Not guilty. I'm no longer guilty. His, his mercy. Because God is, is a love of mercy. He's a gracious God. Because God is, is a God of love, he's gracious. Mercy and grace. The Bible says God saves us by his grace, and that's true. Grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve. <laughs> Boy, God gave me something I didn't deserve. He rescued me from the penalty of sin. Sin has a penalty. Wages of sin is death. But God offers a gift. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life. And every person, for those who reject the gift of God, whoever you are will suffer the penalty of death. Everlasting death in the lake that burns fire and brimstone forever. And forever, and forever. You either take the gift, or you take the wrath. There's two choices. But he says this, but God is rich in mercy. For his great love wherewith he loved us. He says this, even when we were dead in sin. Has quickened us up together with Christ. By grace, by grace are we saved. You know, there's one other attribute of God I want to mention before I leave that His grace and His mercy and His love. 
And this also stems from his love. It's his compassion. Our God is a compassionate God. You know that? He's full of compassion. He's full of compassion. You know what word compassion means? To suffer with. You recall when Jesus went to the home of Mary and Lazarus where Lazarus had died? He said, Jesus wept. Why did he weep? That family was weeping. He was entering into the suffering, the heartbreak to suffer with. It means when we're brokenhearted, he's brokenhearted. Amen? Amen. That's what it means. He has compassion. He has compassion because he loves us. You remember there was a poor leper. Poor leper approached Jesus. He said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me whole. Now, when he says, if you're willing, he says, it's by your grace. But he says, I know if you're willing, you can make me whole. That's faith. Jesus says, I'm willing. Be clean. <laughs> and he was cleansed. He said, he looked, he first said, he looked on him and had compassion on him. Had compassion. He said, be clean. It was clean. I was a leper one time. You know, in that day, there was no cure for leprosy. No known cure. Off of disease that day. Untold thousands died with leprosy and leprosy and leprosy. But there was times when God came on the scene that they were made whole. Only God has a cure for leprosy. Sin is a type of leprosy. It'll destroy your life. You can't get rid of it. The physician can't give you nothing for it. But God has a remedy. God has a remedy for sin. You know what the remedy is? It's the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who will believe. Amen? That's the remedy, my friend. No one has to die or leper. No one has to die in sin. We recall this story, this beautiful story Jesus told about the Good Samaritan. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan? And this stranger, this wayfarer man, had been traveling. And, boy, he was attacked by thieves and all this. And lay inside a highway road, bleeding, dying, it says. And two folk come by, who you thought would have gave him a hand. <laughs> the old priest passed him by. They didn't have time. The Levite passed him by. Boy, if the priest don't, if the preacher don't help you, God, who's going to help us? If the preacher don't care, who's going to care? If I don't care, who's going to care? Right. If the deacons don't care, who's going to care? Right. If we don't care, who's going to care? But he says, that good submersion was traveling. And he saw the stranger. They're dying, bleeding beside the road. He looked at him said he had compassion on him. Think about this. You and me will lay inside the road of life, dying and bleeding and sin one day. And guess what happened? The Samaritan came. Looked on your misery and had compassion and took you up. Encourage you. 
Yes. Yes. There's hope. Is there any hope? Talk about these words. Love, grace, and mercy. That's where we find hope. That's where that's the only place to look for hope is grace and mercy. You know, I'm going to get out of your way in just a minute. You know, when you read Exodus, beginning of Exodus 2, the children of Israel is down in Egypt. They went there because of it. when Joseph was there because of the drought. And now these, these, these 69 souls that went down here is millions of souls now. Millions of souls. And it's been quite a while since Joseph was there. And they've forgotten how faithful Joseph was. And, 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 and they begin to look around. The king of Egypt, Pharaoh said, you know, man, these Israelites is more than you are. When you do something about them people? So they tried all sorts of things. They tried to limit them and all this and all that. And they tried to put, make, make slaves out. They put them in the brick pits and they were slaving out there. They're in Egypt. And he says this. God looked down on them and he remembered something. <laughs> He remembered his covenant with Abraham. That was passed on to Isaac. That was passed on to Jacob. God remembered. He said he heard the cry. Now they weren't crying because they were looking to God. They was crying because of the mess they was in. Because of the suffering. They were crying out. And God had compassion. And God says, I'm going to do something. And he called a man named Moses. And he went and delivered his people. How many times have we got in trouble and cried out to God? Because we was in trouble. Lord, if you hit me out of this mess, I'll, I'll never do it again. How many times do I say that? Just, Lord, just help me out one more time. I've been a fool. Help me out. And he was gracious in his mercy and did. Yeah. You know, if God hadn't sent Moses, those folk would have died in Egypt. That's right. They couldn't free themselves. They're God, slaves. Egypt is a picture of the world. Represent where we live. And you and I were slaves to a great master, Satan. He was our master. Through the flesh and all that, he was our master. And we could never, never have freed ourselves. No matter how we tried, somebody had to come in and set us free. Come in and free us. Thank God. God loved us, and he provided a remedy. He sent forth a man, sent forth a man 2,000 years ago who died on the cross to pay our sin there. And when we trust him, he'll pay, he'll deliver us from the power of Satan. Not only from the power of Satan, my friend, he'll give us a new life and a new walk. Yes, Jesus came. He came. He came. He came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. All Paul says this, the old, the old, old Philippian jailer, you remember him? He, he was a rascal. He was this, he was that. My, he was a hardened uh, Roman. And, but he, uh, two of God's men were locked up there one night, Paul and Silas. And boy, they had, been, <laughs> they had been whipped and did all this and did all that. And they could have been complaining and cussing out the Roman government and all this and all that. But he knew that, they knew that wasn't doing good. But they called on somebody who they knew could help. They knew who called on somebody who would make a difference. 
He said they began to pray that night and sing praises to the glory of God. You know what? And God heard their prayer, and God answered that prayer. And he set an earthquake, and he shut that prison, and all the doors flung open. Boy, you know that? That jailer woke up, astonished. All the doors open. He takes his sword out. He said, I'd rather die than face what Rome's going to do to me. And just before he stabbed himself, Paul said, do yourself no harm. For we are all here. He couldn't believe his eyes. He got, he got, he was trembling, carrying the lantern around. And seen they were. And in that moment, that Jacob realized something. Facing death, he realized he wasn't ready to die. I don't care who you are. If you don't know the Lord, when you face death, you'll know you're not ready to die. He said, what must I do to be saved? What do I have to do? Do I have to pay a lot of money? Do I have to run this and do that? What do I have to do? Paul answered that man once and for all of you and I. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be saved. Believe on him. That means we believe who, 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 that he is who he said he was. We believe he is who he said. He's God's son, born the Virgin Mary. That's who he is. He's the son of God. We must also believe in what he did on the cross for you. That's the gospel. Paul said, let me tell you what the gospel is. The gospel is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He did die. He was buried. He was buried in a tomb, and he rose again, alive, forevermore, on the third day. That's the gospel. And we realize that we were the guilty one. You realize when Jesus died, (laughs) he died on a barred cross. That wasn't his cross. Mm. Barabbas. Barabbas was supposed to die. You know the story. I wonder how Barabbas felt when he saw Jesus on his cross. I wonder how he felt. You think he was thankful? Think he was rejoicing? Think he was shouting? I bet he wasn't cussing, I tell you that. How do you feel when he was on your cross? When he was on your cross! He was on my cross. He took my place and died for me so I don't have to die. That's That's the gospel. He died for me. And he saved me. Paul says, it's by grace. We can't earn it. We can't merit. merit. We can't do nothing. By grace, we've been saved. The only part we have is faith, is our trust. This morning, in that lesson, we're on faith. It's faith. It's to trust God and trust his word. We're saved by faith. He says, then it says this. Trust him. It says, uh, by faith, that, that it says, that not of yourselves. It is, that is salvation. It's a gift of God. Not a work, that any man should boast. Then he says, for well, we are his work. <laughs> Creating Christ Jesus, do good work. I don't have time to go through all that. But you know, we said, Man's past, man's present. People being saved today. <laughs> being Working for the Lord. Serving the Lord. 
Let's go to the future. Christ, our glorious future. Boy, what a future it is. What a future. I don't have time to talk about all these things in the future. Think about your future home. The home you're going to have. That home in glory. That Jesus is now prepared. John said in Revelation, I saw, I saw a sight of, of the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And not be that new Jerusalem, it's the place that Jesus is preparing for his church even now. Either way, it's going to be a beautiful place. I'm a proud place, and I'll come again. A beautiful place. We have a brand new body. Won't worry about growing old and all this and all that, arthritis and all the things we suffer from, hospitals, no funerals, no that, none of that. Boy, we're going to have all those things. We're going to be perfect before him. You know, when Pilate was examining Jesus, so you know I find no fault in him. I've examined him. I can't find nothing to accuse him of. So y'all brought these charges, but I can't find anything in this man. Yet he sentenced him to death. You need to be Jude 24 sometime. One, one chapter 24. He says, God, Jesus is able to present you and I before the throne of his glory. He's able to keep us from falling without fault, without blemish. When we stand before God, he'll say about us what Pilate said about Jesus. I find no fault. Boy, I got a lot of faults. You didn't know that, did you? I'm covered with faults. Boy, I wish I didn't have all I have. But you know, when I stand there, I won't stand on my own. <laughs> I'm going to stand there in Christ. In Christ. In Christ, we're perfect. We're perfect. A perfect individual with a brand new body, with a glorified body, without blemish. And notice what Paul says this about after being saved in 19. He says, therefore, you're no more strangers and foreigners and foreigners to the covenants in this, but you're fellow members of the household of God. I'm in God's family. God has adopted me into his family. I'm a child of God. I have a heavenly father who hears me when I speak. So many wonderful things. Our passion without hope. Jesus came on the scene to give us hope. And we have a wonderful future. When Jesus, when Paul was it, has pianos in Corcoran. When Paul, when Pilate was examining Jesus, and those folk were demanding the death of Jesus. And they were saying this, he said he found no fault. He asked this pertinent question. Then what shall I do with Jesus? Who is the Christ? He asked that question. What am I going to do with Jesus? Who's, who's the Christ? 
That crowd said, let him be crucified. Get rid of him. And that question that Paul asked, we must ask ourselves the same question. We can't escape it. What are you going to do with Jesus?